If you've been here for any length of time, you've heard me talk about Weight Watchers, and I've been on a journey to lose weight, uh, well, really, my whole life. But I've been, uh, I've been attending Weight Watchers meetings for a little over a year, and about six weeks ago, I hit a milestone. It, it took a big push, but about six weeks ago, I hit uh, the 50-pound mark, and I was really excited. And uh, I go to meetings every, every Friday morning, and it's just part of my routine now, and it really keeps me focused and keeps me on track. And that particular week, I, I thought I was going to get to the 50-pound mark, and I'd worked really hard, and I was really excited when I stepped on the scale, and it was 50 pounds exactly. And, uh, and they made a really big deal. Everybody clapped and congratulated me, and, you know, I just felt really, really proud of myself. And so uh, when the meeting was over, um, I decided that I needed to celebrate. And how are you going to celebrate? <laughs> Food, exactly. So... I went home and made myself a big pan of pancakes because I hadn't had pancakes for a while. And, uh, and then Chris came home later that day and we celebrated with food. And, uh, and the next week when Friday rolled around, uh, we had gone to Spokane for a couple of days with uh, Bob and Jean from Great Falls and, and uh, we were celebrating that weekend. And by the time the following week, now two weeks after my big award, uh, by the time that second meeting rolled around, I was up six pounds from my 50-pound loss, and I was so ashamed. I stepped on the scale at home, and I knew I was going to be up quite a bit uh, because there had just been a lot of celebrating for two weeks. And, um, and so I decided I didn't want to go to my meeting. You know, I was so embarrassed because there was such a big deal about getting to the 50-pound mark. I didn't want to go to my meeting because I was just so embarrassed. And so I decided I'm going to push through. I knew this is what I needed to restart my weight loss, go to my meeting. And so I went and I decided I wouldn't weigh in because I was just too embarrassed. So I told my Weight Watchers leader, I'm here. That's enough. I'm not going to weigh in. She's like, that's great. Make sure you grab a, a, a weekly. They have these little weekly um, publications that we get every week. And she said, grab one. So I grabbed one, went, sat down. And uh, that week's topic on the front page of the weekly was back on track. I couldn't believe it. Six ways to recover after a not so great meal, day, or longer. And I was in the longer category. And it was awesome. Because that was my restart. And that day I pushed restart and I'm back on track and I'm almost back down to the 50 pound mark. (laughs) But we all need a restart from time to time. And last week on Easter Sunday, we kind of ended with talking about uh, everybody gets a restart on life when you come to Jesus. That's part of what the resurrection is all about is that you get a restart. And today we're going to be talking about restarting your relationships And I wonder how many of us in this room need a restart in our relationships. There's probably many of us today that would say, I've got that one particular relationship that really needs a restart. Maybe it's your marriage. Uh, You might be in in a marriage relationship that's just gone sour, or maybe it's just gotten so meh that it's like living with a roommate. Or it might be your dad or your mom, or maybe even a step parent that they have crossed a boundary one too many times and the relationship is just broken. Or it might be with your kids. I've I've talked to so many parents uh, of teenagers in particular. Uh, Many of you have experienced this when your teenager says, I hate you. And that goes so deep into your spirit 
that you find it hard to recover. Or it might be a business partner that screwed you over, or it could be a friend that's betrayed you. It could be any number of things in your relationship, but uh, you know that you need to restart. And if that's you today, this is your day. We're going to talk about how to restart in relationships today. And no matter how difficult your relationship has become, I believe there's some things you're going to learn today that are going to give you the tools to truly restart. And this is what you're going to see today. If you're taking notes, you're going to want to write this down. This is our big idea today. When you grab hold of God, you don't have to grab control. When you grab hold of God, you don't have to grab control. And when you get this, friends, you're going to find that every relationship in your life is different. Now we're going to camp out today in Ephesians chapters 5 and 6. And uh, most weeks we've got almost everything up on the screen, but today I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles. If you've got a Bible with you, I want you to open up to Ephesians 5 and 6. Uh, For this reason, we're going to fly at about 10,000 feet today, and we're going to take a big picture, uh, a a 10,000 feet look at Ephesians 5 and 6. And you're going to want to follow along in your Bible so you can kind of see some things. And actually, I'm going to ask you today to mark in your Bibles. If you're a Bible marker or if you can highlight things uh, in, your, in your mobile app, uh, I'm going to ask you to mark some things. We do have Bibles back there at the Welcome Center. If you don't have a Bible, you can go pick one up, and that'll be great. But it'll be helpful for you to follow along today. Uh, but we're going, to, we're going to be just taking a cruise through these two chapters and looking at the big picture But I wanted to start today with the theme verse for this section of Ephesians. There's a theme verse in Ephesians 5, verse 2, and it reads this way. Live a life filled with love. Would you read that out loud with me? Live a life filled with love. Wouldn't it be great if it was as easy as reading those six little words to live a life filled with love? Who wouldn't want that, you know? Who wouldn't want every one of our relationships to be loving and conflict-free and feel good and happy all the time and be like, you you know, Tom Cruise looking at Renee Zellweger. And, you know, it'd be so nice if every relationship was just that perfect. But instead of living a life filled with love, I think most of us live by a different translation of this verse. And it's Ephesians 5.2 in the WMPLTLV. You might not be familiar with that version. It's the where most people live their lives version. (laughs) I made it up. Where we live is this verse. Live a life filled with control. That's kind of how we live our lives. I want to control my job. I want to control my home. I want to control what I eat. I want to control my wife. I want to control my kids. I want to control my future. I really want to control my boss. I want to live a life filled with control. But that's not what Ephesians is calling us to. Paul is saying in Ephesians 5 to live a life filled with love, not control. And the big question that we all have to answer today is how do I make the switch from control to love? And here's the answer. When you grab hold of God, you don't have to grab control. There's a picture that I'm going to have Shane put up on the screens this morning, and this will be immediately recognizable to almost all of us. This is an image of Michelangelo's masterpiece, The Creation, in the Sistine Chapel in Rome. 
And, and, and we know this picture, and, and, and I love just this detail of the picture because you see God's arm over here on the right, and you see Adam's arm over here on the left. And what we know about Michelangelo is he studied the human body, and he was so good at depicting bodies in motion and the emotion that, that could be conveyed. And, and, and look at God's arm over here on the right. You see every muscle is straining to reach Adam. But conversely, over here, Adam's arm is just kind of limp, not working very hard. And if in your mind you can zoom out to see the bigger picture, you'll remember that Adam is trying so little to touch God that he's actually propped his arm up on his knee. It's kind of like, you remember in grade school when you got tired of raising your hand and you did this thing, you know? (laughs) It's kind of where Adam is. And this is a great picture of how we live our lives. God wants to grab us so badly. He is reaching for you. He's reaching for me. And every part of God's being is reaching to grab hold of you. And we're just kind of, well... But what we need to know today about relationships is when we grab hold of God... We don't have to grab control. And I hope that we're going to see that today. Now, you've got your Bibles open. I want you to see five key verses in Ephesians chapter 5 that tell us to grab hold of God. And, And if you mark in your Bible, I hope you'll mark these. The first one is in verse 1 of Ephesians chapter 5. It says, imitate God in everything you do. Imitate God in everything you do. Grab hold of God, Paul is saying. The next one is verse 2, where Paul says, follow the example of Christ. If you're going to live a life full of love, you need to follow the example of Christ. Grab onto God. The next one is verse 10 in chapter 5, where Paul says, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. And then verse 17 says, understand what the Lord wants you to do. You see how over and over and over in this chapter, Paul is saying, grab hold of God. He uses different language, but it's all the same. You've got to grab hold of God. If you want to live a life full of love, grab hold of God. And then the fifth one is verse 18 here in chapter 5, where Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, if we want to live our lives this way, if I want to imitate God in every... If I want to follow the example of Christ or determine what pleases the Lord, if this is how I want to live my life, then I have to figure out how to grab onto God. How how do I know what's going to please the Lord? Let me give you just a few really practical ways, some strategies you can implement in your life. If you're going to know how Christ lived and follow his example, you need to get into the book that talks about Jesus. And I would strongly recommend that you read the Gospels often. The Gospels are the history of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read them and read them and absorb them. Learn them. Because if we want to grab onto God, we've got to know what Jesus thinks and how he lived his life. You need to pray a little bit every day. You don't have to pray for an hour or two hours or five hours. Sometimes we hear about the giants of the faith that just pray all day and all night. If you'll just pray a little bit, you're going to find that you're going to be able to think the thoughts of Jesus. I would encourage you to learn to listen for God's voice. Did you know that God is speaking all the time? 
you can learn to hear his voice. This morning while I was praying, I had a really cool experience. And I just became aware that God was speaking. And I said, Lord, what are you saying to me? And he said some really cool things. And you can learn how to hear him speak. And this is how you get to this point of really grabbing onto God and making your choices that way. And it impacts our lives because we really can't live a life filled with love unless we're really grabbed onto God. This is a key relationship strategy that we've all got to learn. Uh, Jeff and I were talking this week, and I'm going to ask him to come up and join me. We were uh, collaborating on this message, and he started telling me about uh, his relationship with his dad. And, and I just wanted you to, to tell us your story, Jeff, about your relationship with your dad and how grabbing onto God changed everything. But your mom and dad uh, divorced when you were a teenager. I was actually 12. 12 years yeah, old. So tell us a little bit about what happened there. Yeah, you know, you go through the normal divorce. Any of you have been through it know it, which I'm sorry you had to, but uh, you go through the normal divorce thing. There's this numbness, and, of course, the house gets sold, and the property gets divided. So as kids, you really don't know what your parents are going through, right? So it was kind of really a shock to us, but uh, you just go into survival mode. And My dad would visit us, my sister and I, every other weekend. This went on until... Oh, probably three, four months when we got into our, our new house. And uh, at that point, he decided that he needed to find himself. And uh, he, uh, he basically disappeared for about six months. Just left. Just left. Yeah. Just exited out of your life. He was gone. So how did you feel about your dad at that point? You know, it was tough. I mean, but I was angry. Kind of took the, I was the only son. So I took the protection role with my mom, you mm-hmm. know, and my sister. And mm-hmm. thought I had to be the man of the house, you know, at 12, so. Yeah. Yeah, so I kind of just stuck it away, but uh, that was tough. It was a, definitely a break. So I imagine you were angry. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. And uh, did you ever reach out towards your dad in those years? No, you know, well, six, at the end of six months about when he came back, we got a letter from his attorney. I never heard from him that uh, basically said that I haven't been working for six months, so I no longer can support, you know, it, the letter went to my mom, not to me, but uh, I can't, you know continue to honor the agreement, the alimony and the child support. So not only did he abandon the relationship, but he abandoned his financial obligations as well. Yeah, he, uh, they negotiated a much lower. Alimony was gone. There was some child support, but it really put a lot of stress on, the, on my mom and the family. And, and at that point, I, got, I went from anger to probably downright hatred. I mean, that's before I was a Christ follower, so yeah. I uh, had nothing to do with him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I basically just X'd him out of my life for about 20 years, a little over 20 years. 20 years. Yeah. So eventually, so eventually you reached back to him. I did. It took, uh, you know what Pastor Russ is talking about, when you have a fail like that, when you just completely write somebody off. Um, I was at a Promise Keepers conference down in Tucson, and uh, the pastor that was teaching this breakout was talking about the same thing, the relationship. And uh, talking about how as men, and it was all men in, in, this, in this breakout, how you know, our view of God is somewhat impacted or a lot impacted by our view of our fathers. And uh, good is great. But he asked how many of you in the room have had a positive relationship with your father. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe one out of three hands went up. Wow. Mine didn't go up. Yeah. It was, it was down. Yeah. Yeah. And then he asked, he said, well... All right, he went through that and talked about, you know, how God's a loving father and all. And he said, well, how many of you have forgiven your fathers in the room? Those of you that raise your hands. And I'm, I'm like this now. <laughs> you know, nope. <laughs> I'm not, 
you know, I not only forgive him, I forgot about him pretty much. I hadn't, but you know, I had pushed him aside, and so there was no forgiveness in my heart for him. You know, I just. But he said, "Well, how can you, who claim Jesus' forgiveness, you know, for your sins? You know, you're Christ followers, right? You're you're believers. You know, how can you claim Jesus' forgiveness and yet not forgive your father?" And uh, so I start to squirm around a little bit. <laughs> you know how it is. And uh, he says, you know, he says, you know, talked about Jesus' death. He goes, I'm not asking you men to die for your dads, but Jesus died for you. And he's, I'm just asking you. He to just beat you up with it, did he? Yeah. The Holy Spirit was just banging yeah. on me. You know, that, old, that one God's chisel, you know, there were big chunks mm-hmm. flying off of me. And, uh, you know, the thing that really hit me was he talked about the Lord's Prayer. And he said, you know, Jesus taught this model for prayer. And, uh, you know, it's forgive us our sins as we forgive those, what, who sin against us. And that's a daily discipline that we're taught to do, you know, because we screw up. Even after we're believers, we still make mistakes. We still fall short. And he goes, so how can you hold unforgiveness in your heart and expect the full forgiveness of God and the full blessing? And that's following out. That, that was the last, you know, yeah. pop. So. so what did you do? Well, you know, I figured I had to call him, but I, I took the next best step and I wrote him a letter. That's pre-email, you guys. Well, it was just coming out. <laughs> but I wrote him a letter and explained what had happened to me and uh, sent it, mailed it to him, and I expected to get a call and didn't get a call. So then I felt convicted to call him. Okay. And uh, that was probably one of the tougher calls in my life. You yeah. know? And I'll tell you this. He, you know, when I called him, I was kind of expecting he's going to say, oh, man, Jeff, I'm really sorry for everything that happened. And, I, I, you know, forgive me. And there was none of that. My dad's not a believer. But he appreciated the one thing he did tell me. He says, don't, don't preach to me because I don't want to hear that. Because I had written that in my testimony in there, you know, how God had convicted me of this. Mm-hmm. So uh, he said, you know what, I have my faith, you have yours. Let's just let's make a deal. And in fact, uh, it just came up recently, didn't it, really, about the deal we have. That's yeah. my dad's deal. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, but, it, but, you know, it thawed. The relationship thawed a little bit. You know, he thanked me for the call. Yeah. So how has that now changed your relationship that was what twenty years ago. Twenty years ago, no, that 20. <laughs> that you had that. Yeah, you're really old. I am. Yeah, <laughs> I'm older than you. Sad. <laughs> Not much. <laughs> but you. Uh, so in twenty years, uh, what has changed in that relationship since you have been following the example of Christ? You've done these things in in, in your relationship with your dad. The biggest thing that came out of my dad and I, we now talk, you know, although I struggle with whether I could call him dad or Phil, you know, it's kind of weird and awkward. But, um, you know, I call him probably every other week, right, Jules? I mean, maybe something like that. Mm-hmm. He calls me every now and then. But, you know, if we go down to visit, you know, I'm from the Black Hills, South Dakota. He always invites us to his house, and he's very gracious. Uh, yeah. He actually wants to know now about Julie and about our kids and his grandkids. So, and he, interesting, he's an engineer, and my son's an engineer, right? So he and my son are actually fairly close. I mean, in terms of just conversation. So if I hear you right, what you're saying is the relationship isn't maybe what you wish it was. No, it's not a father and son relationship. But what I love is that when you come to the end of your life, you're going to be able to look back at this relationship and say, I have no regrets. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it is. And I keep praying for him. I just yeah. think, I think my dad will be a deathbed type conversion guy. You yeah. know, I really do. So I, I just think, I believe that God will use us at the end of his life some way, somehow. Okay. Yeah. Good. Thank you for sharing you that story Thank with us, Jeff. And I want, you to, I want you to see this. 
when Jeff really grabbed hold of God, he realized that he could begin to reach out to his dad and release the control that up until that point he was hanging on to. So let's talk a little bit about this control part. If you've got your Bibles open still, roll your eyes down to verse 21 in Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 21 says this, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Actually, I should have you read that with me, because this is a good one. Would you read that out loud? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me talk about two words that are in this verse. The New Testament is written in the Greek language, and so we're reading a translation. But I want to define these words in the Greek language. The word submit is the Greek word hypotasso. And and it means to arrange under or to subordinate. It's a great word. I like, I like the definition to arrange under. And what I visualize with this word is that you're putting yourself lower in the chain of command. Okay? You're, just, you're choosing to put yourself lower in the chain of command. That's what this word means. In our, in our American culture, the word submit has all kinds of awful connotations. But in the Greek language, we don't really have those negative connotations. But you'll notice that the very next word in this verse is the word, well, words in English, one another. It's one word in Greek. And it's the word alelon. I practiced saying that word. I'm not, not going to say it again. Uh, that word means one another or reciprocally or mutually. It's a great word. Reciprocally or mutually. In other words, when you put that together with submit, it's talking about people who arrange their lives in the pecking order or in the chain of command. They're arranging their lives mutually to submit or give in or follow the lead of one another. A a great word would be mutual submission. Mutual submission. And what I want you to see here is that submitting is the opposite of controlling. Submitting is the opposite of controlling. And if I grab onto God, I don't have to grab control. Why do these things go together? Well, it it, kind of goes like this. If I believe that God is really looking out for my best good, If I know that God is arranging my life, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. If I really believe that and I grab onto the promises of God that he is working my life out, then I don't have to take responsibility to make sure that my life goes well. I can trust God and I can give in to the needs and the wants and the leadership of other people. I can submit to others instead of controlling everything in my life. And Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And if I could phrase that myself, I would say, if I want to honor Jesus, then we're all going to submit to one another. It honors Christ when we mutually submit to one another. Now again, we're looking at Ephesians 5, Ephesians 6. We're flying at 10,000 feet, big picture. Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then 
he tells us who should submit. And here again, you might want to circle these in your Bibles. In verse 22, he tells us that wives should submit to their husbands. Wives should submit. Then in verse 25, he tells us that husbands should submit to their... Well, he doesn't actually say that. Uh, He actually says, husbands, you should die for your wives. (laughs) (laughs) My wife has said for years, it's not hard to submit to a man who's willing to die for her. And so, ladies, if you have a hard time submitting... Uh, well, I shouldn't talk to the ladies. Men, if your wives don't like to submit to your leadership, maybe it isn't because you're not dying for her enough. Wives submit. Husbands submit. In, in chapter 6, verse 1, it says, children should submit. Paul says, children, obey your parents. But then in verse 4 of chapter 6, he says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Don't make your children mad. Don't, don't, don't be so harsh that you kill your children's spirits. It's, it's just another way of saying, fathers, submit to your children. Let them lead sometimes. Bless your kids instead of always having to control everything in their lives. In verse 5, he says, slaves should submit to their masters. And then it's crazy when he gets to verse 9. He says, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. In other words, masters, submit to your slaves. That's revolutionary in a slave culture, right? And we maybe could, could apply this to employers and employees. Submit to one another, mutual submission. And if this surprises you, you might need to read these two chapters really carefully and check and see if I'm telling you the truth. I guarantee you I am. But one of the problems we've had in church culture, and I'm talking about church big C, is that lots of preachers have hammered wives with those verses about submission, but they conveniently forget the verses to tell husbands to die for their wives. And Paul tells us we're all supposed to mutually submit to one another instead of grabbing control all the time. And I really believe this. Maybe we would have fewer divorces if husbands and wives were mutually submitting to one another instead of trying to control everything all the time. Maybe we would have fewer teen suicides if kids and parents were grabbing onto God and choosing submission instead of control. Maybe we would enjoy our jobs more if bosses and employees were grabbing onto God and serving one another mutually instead of constantly trying to control everything. Life could be so different if we grab onto God instead of grabbing control. Let me tell you a silly story that just kind of illustrates how this works out in a day-to-day scenario with with me and my wife. Um, we, we have some bedtime rituals that we always go through every night. We, we always kiss one another goodnight. We always pray together before we go to sleep. And, you know, o- over 21 years of marriage, we just have things that just, we do these things every night. And, and uh, one night this week, we were getting ready to, for bed, and, and all of a sudden, we had something that interrupted the routine, and it was my dog, Samurai. And he jumped up on the bed. I don't know where this came from. He jumped up in, into the bed, and he jumped on my chest and just started licking my face frantically. 
and it was just so joyful and so so out of the blue. And he's just I don't I have no idea why he did this, but he's just looking at me and I started giggling uncontrollably. And and it was just so joyful. I was just having a great time with my dog, and Chris was just utterly grossed out. <laughs> And she looks at me and she says, I am not kissing those lips. <laughs> and, I, I, and now I'm just, I'm just being honest with how I felt. I just felt like she sucked the joy out of the room. And, um, and I was just, just like this, I was mad. And, and I said, fine then. And I put the dog down on the floor and I turned my back to her and, and laid down like I was going to go to sleep. And we weren't going to kiss. We weren't going to pray. I was just going to go right to sleep. And, and then, of course, it hurt Chris's feelings. So then she's mad, and she turns her back to me. And now the room is just ice cold. And, and we laid there in silence for a few minutes. And then I said, with my best sarcastic voice, well, I guess we're not going to pray then, are we? And she said, I guess not. And, and it, it was going downhill fast. And, and you've had these arguments, right, that, that start from something silly, and next thing you know, you're, you're rehearsing all 21 years of every hurt that's ever happened for 21 years, right? That's where this was going. And I laid there for a couple of minutes, and of course, I was preparing this message for you, so I'm thinking, you know, follow the example of Christ. Um, you know, I, I'm thinking, what should I do? What should I do? And I, and I just closed my eyes, and I thought for a minute, What does mutual submission look like? And I rolled over and I said, sweetheart, if I get out of bed and I go in the bathroom and I wash my face, will you kiss me on the lips? And she sighed and she said, yes, I guess so. (laughs) So I didn't want to get out of bed. I was ready. I wanted to go to sleep, but I got out of bed and I washed my face with a hot washcloth and there was a lot of dog slobber in all this hair. (laughs) She probably would have preferred I take a shower, but um, I washed my face and she kissed me goodnight and, and we prayed and, and we went to sleep. Th- this is what mutual submission looks like. As, as a husband, I could have said, you know what, you should submit to me. Kiss me on the lips or else, you know. And, and she could have dug in her heels and said, you know, there's no way you've crossed the line. I'm not kissing you goodnight. I, you know, in, in, and this is a silly example. It's just a tiny little thing, but it, it illustrates what mutual submission looks like. We, we give in to the needs and the wants and the desires and the leadership of one another. And, and, and it comes. Listen, I had to lay there in bed for a couple minutes and just breathe a couple of prayers. I had to grab onto God or I could have completely blown what, what turned out to be a really sweet thing, right? But it comes from grabbing onto God instead of grabbing control. Now, I don't want to minimize what I'm talking about because I know that submission is hard. It, it's, it's hard for all of us, regardless of your gender, regardless of your age. Submission is hard. But this is what I want you to know. It was hard even for Jesus. And just before we pray together, I, I want to take you to Matthew chapter 26, and this will be up on the screen for you. And this story takes place just before Jesus is arrested and, and eventually crucified. And here's what we read in Matthew 26. Jesus went with them, with the disciples, 
to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. And he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished and distressed. And he told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Then he went on a little further and he bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, if it is possible. Now, now look at this carefully. My father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And when Jesus talks about that cup of suffering, he's using language that that was was used throughout the Bible to talk about God's wrath. The book of Revelation talks about God's wrath being poured out on a sinful world out of a cup. And what Jesus was aware of was that when he went to the cross and he died an incredibly painful death, what was more painful than the physical pain was the fact that he was going to suffer the wrath of God on behalf of every one of us. The Bible says because we have sinned, we deserve God's wrath. But Jesus took that wrath so that we wouldn't have to. It was a trade. And going to the cross and suffering the wrath of God, and, and you remember he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He, he could see all this coming, and it was hard. So what did Jesus do? He went to the garden, and he prayed, and he grabbed onto God. Even Jesus had to grab onto God so that he wouldn't revert to controlling his own destiny. Jesus grabbed onto God when submission got hard. And if we will grab onto God, I want to promise you this. He will empower you. He will empower me to restart relationships and, and, and come to the end of our lives with no regrets if we will stay connected to him. So what relationship in your life needs a restart? It might be a marriage, it might be a friendship, it might be something with your kids. You start by grabbing onto God. That's how you start. And when you grab onto God, it's amazing what he does. Take a look at this video. I've heard it. You've heard it. It's time for a new beginning. Time to start a fresh page or paint a new picture with our life. Sounds great in theory, but it can seem impossible. Life is messy. The lines have gotten blurred. Maybe we just don't know where to start. We look at the canvas of our lives and see mistake after mistake after mistake. It's overwhelming. When I look at my life with these messy lines and scribbles, it makes me think, is this as good as it gets? There's no eraser that can make this life make sense. But what if... What if there was someone that could make sense of our mess? They could take all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our missed opportunities, and make them into a masterpiece. And then I remember 
there is. Jesus. He gives us a new life. Every day is new. Every day is a blank canvas full of possibility and promise. He takes our canvases, our lives that have been filled up with shortcomings, secrets, tragedies, and embarrassments, and he helps them make sense. When I look at the canvas of my life and I see nothing but disorder and chaos, I have to remember this. God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. And you know what? He wants to take my hand and bring peace to the canvas of my life. So as we seek to make our mark, let us give God all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our hurts, and trust that he will turn our messy lives into a masterpiece. His masterpiece. I want us to pray together this morning. Would you just bow your heads and, and pray with me? Jesus, today, there are many of us in this room that need a restart. And today, Lord, we just want to reach out to you and we want to grab on to your hand. And Jesus, we want to ask you to intervene and make a masterpiece out of our lives. In spite of the mistakes, in spite of the problems, in spite of the bitterness, the unforgiveness, the brokenness that has come, Jesus, we just want to invite you today to come and make a masterpiece out of our lives. And it's going to start when we grab onto you today. Now, while nobody is looking around, would you just keep your eyes closed for just a moment out of respect for everyone else. I've asked our prayer team this morning to be available to pray for anybody that needs a restart today. And uh, this is what I want you to do if you would like to receive prayer today, to restart a relationship, or for that matter, if you have anything else you need to restart. Maybe you want to restart a brand new relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've never started a relationship with Jesus, but you're ready to trade your sin for Christ's forgiveness. Whatever it is today that, that, that you need prayer for, would you just slip up out of your seat and, and stand up right where you are? I'm not going to ask you to move. Would you just stand up right where you are? All over this room, we've got a bunch of people standing. And uh, we're going to pray together. I just feel like there's probably a few more and you're just a little scared or nervous, but you know you need a restart and you need prayer. Would you just stand to your feet, would you please? Don't be afraid. Because we believe Jesus is alive and Jesus changes things when we grab onto him. All right, let's all pray together. Jesus, today, I am so grateful for every individual that stood to their feet and today is saying, I, I, I need a restart today. I'm sure that many of us are standing because there's relationships that need to be started again. There's relationships that need healing. There's relationships that we need to change our behavior. For some of us, it's a relationship that you're calling us to forgive like Jeff did. 
And Jesus, today, we just want to come to you and we want to place our lives in your hands. We want to grab onto you, Jesus, with all the energy we have. We want to grab onto you. And today, Lord, we trust you to do a miracle. Jesus, I want to pray that for those of us that the issue really is that we've been trying to control everything and we've realized today, Lord, that you're calling us to submit mutually. Give the control away. Lord, I pray that you will empower us to do that. Help us, Lord, to trust you to arrange our lives so that we don't have to do it ourselves. And Jesus, fill us with your spirit so that, Lord, we can have the the spiritual power to live the life that you're calling us to and to make the choices that you're calling us to make. And Jesus, I pray for healing. Where there's brokenness, Jesus, I pray for healing. Some of us need our hearts healed. Some of us need those chasms of the relationship healed. Some of us, Lord, need our minds healed. And we're asking you, Jesus, to heal us in whatever way we need today. Heal us, Jesus. And then, Jesus, help us to stay grabbed onto you, Lord. Help us to never let go. And change us, Jesus, from the inside out, I pray. One last thing I want to pray for. Jesus, for those of us that just need a restart today in our spiritual lives, I pray, Lord, that you will wash our sins away. Wash us clean. And Jesus, change us from the inside out so we can live a life that honors you from here on forward. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Everybody say amen. 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 Amen means so be it. So be it as we've prayed. But communion is a wonderful part of of our tradition as Christians. It started with Jesus when he celebrated uh, the Last Supper with his disciples. And he told his disciples to, to take the bread and drink the cup until he comes again. And Christians all over the world have been celebrating communion for more than 2,000 years. And, uh, and today we're going to do that. If you're a guest with us today, uh, we practice open communion, which means you don't have to be a member here. Uh, as our guest, we just invite you to participate with us. Uh, and, and our servers are going to come. And if you take a cup and take a piece of bread and then hang on to it until everyone's been served, we'll eat and drink together in just a moment. Jesus, the story of what you did for us is amazing. Your love is amazing. And we hold in our hands this bread. You broke the bread with your disciples and you said, take and eat it, this is my body. Broken for you. Jesus, you're amazing. Today as we eat this bread, we ask you to bless it. And we remember you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. And we invite your real presence to fill us today as we eat. Let's eat together.
And Jesus, you said this cup is the new covenant in my blood. The Bible tells us that your blood, Jesus, washes us clean. Your blood was shed so that we don't have to suffer the wrath of God. You took it on yourself. Jesus, you're amazing. You're amazing. Bless this cup as we drink, Jesus. We remember you. We worship you. Let's drink together. Earlier I said, um, God is always speaking. And we can learn to hear him. Can I just ask you, just talk back to me, just in a sentence or just a sentence, a few words, some of you that are hearing God talk, what are you hearing him say this morning? I got the control. You've got the control. That, that was George way back there. It sounded like God a little bit. He's making all, that's what I heard God say to me this morning, and for whatever reason I didn't share it. He's making all things new. Guys, he's making all things new. Somebody else, what do you hear God saying this morning? I love you. Somebody else said? Our problems are silly compared to him. Wow. Somebody over here said? Let go and let God. He said we're too serious. Oh. Not around here. (laughs) Maybe we worry too much. Sure. Let him have it. Let him have it, guys. Jesus, we're just so grateful for the way you've spoken to us today and how you've revealed yourself to us today. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. All right, would you be seated? Uh, If you've got your note cards with you, let me just give you a couple of next steps and then we'll close this morning. Uh, I want to encourage you this morning. We, like, like I said, we just flew at 10,000 feet with Ephesians 5 and 6. But this week, would you read all of those two chapters and just digest it and reflect on what you've learned today? And then number two, I want to encourage you today to make a list of all the people that Jesus is calling you to submit to. Might be one name, it might be two names, it might be a long list. But make a list and then ask Jesus how you're going to work that out. All right. Thank you for being here this morning. Have a wonderful week. Grab onto God all week long. Grab onto God.